Welcome to the Mending Trauma Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Hoyt, and along with my sister, Lena Hoyt, a licensed marriage and family therapist, we want to help you recover from trauma, whether it's childhood trauma, complex trauma, PTSD, or any other trauma sustained from abuse or narcissistic relationships, we want to help you develop skills and ways that can help you to recover from the symptoms and the effects of trauma. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hi, Amy here. Are you feeling stuck or overwhelmed by things that pop up in your daily life? And perhaps these are because of past traumas or toxic stress. Have you tried traditional therapy and found that it wasn't enough? I know that was the case for me. That's why we developed the Whole Health Lab. Mini Trauma has put together a program that combines the latest research with proven methods to help you recover from trauma and move forward from these daily stressors and triggers. We use somatic therapy, EMDR, cognitive behavioral therapy, and internal family systems therapy. We use nervous system regulation, and many other tools so that we can combine the best methods that are identified in the research to help you recover without being completely overwhelmed. So you can work on trauma on your own pace, your own time, and still with the mentorship and support of a highly trained certified staff. That's us. No more waiting for appointments or sitting in traffic, driving to see a therapist. With our online program, The Whole Health Lab, you can access it from anywhere, anytime, even on an app. Visit mendingtrauma.com backslash whole health lab and learn more. Get your questions answered. We've got a frequently asked questions section and sign up so that you can have this life-changing program in your world today. Don't let your past hold you back any longer. Take control of your future and we can't wait to see you in The Whole Health Lab. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This week, we're going to explore how our CPTSD or trauma might be showing up at work. And arguably, many of us spend the majority of our time at work. So this is a really important topic to address because we can't necessarily just, you know, bracket our whole personality or all of our, you know, past experiences when we show up at work. We try to be professional. We try to um, not let our, there's, there's a lot of problems with compartmentalizing to that degree. And mainly that these things show up at work and we don't have a template to deal with it. So they bleed into our professional life. So we want to give you some ideas about why that's happening as well as what you can do to mitigate that. Yes. And we, we're excited to talk about this because, as Amy said, um, so much of our waking time is spent in our interactions at work, and most of us work with other people. It's very unusual not to work with other people, um, and and we sometimes can be caught off guard by our own responses to things when things happen at work. Absolutely. One of the things that's important to be aware of as we start talking about this is that trauma happens in relationships and our triggers will also happen in relationships. And so, you know, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that triggers are the subconscious um, reactions that we have that remind us 
of our former trauma. And when this happens, we don't really have a lot of time before we start reacting if we haven't done the work to create that space. Um, As we are further along in our healing journey, we are more aware of our reactions and we might get a couple like milliseconds before our trigger kicks in. Um, But in general, these are subconscious reactions. They're below our conscious awareness, but they are memories that are imprinted in our body from our previous trauma. So what's happening in this time is the nervous system is picking up on perceived danger. So if I grew up in a house that I was, um, you know, the scapegoat and I was told all the things of the family were really my fault, right? So I'm the problem child. I'm the scapegoat of the family. I fast forward, I get into a work environment and maybe I'm being blamed for a project not going well. And, you know, the manager is being professional about it and not unprofessional and just saying, you know, I think you didn't hit your targets here. And, you know, this is what's going on. I'm going to have a very big, big reaction to that, whether it's inside or it starts to, you know, be a big reaction towards the manager or supervisor that's going to be coming from my earlier trauma in childhood. That is such a good example, Amy. I love that. Because what you're talking about is you're talking about this um, dynamic that may have existed in your childhood that makes you hypervigilant and hyper responsive to perceived blame. And so even if you have a professional exchange and the manager or the supervisor is not abusive in any way, it could still trigger a bodily response and memory. And then we go into this defensive reaction, which can then impact our relationships at work. Yes, absolutely. And again, that reaction can be internal. You can go in the bathroom and start crying and you're going into a shame spiral, or it can be external. You know, if your sympathetic, um, typical sympathetic response is to fight, then it might be, you know, reacting by raising your voice or challenging in a um, disrespectful way. You know, you're going to have a reaction that is already hardwired into your nervous system, essentially. What we want you to be aware of is that every single person on the planet has triggers um, because no one gets through life without having challenges. And trauma is one of those challenges. If you are spending a lot of time at work and you are having triggers, then you're normal. (laughs) You're human. Welcome. We are so glad you're here. Okay. Because we can relate. Um, So one of the things that triggers do that are really hard for me personally is that it creates a reaction that is disproportionate often to what is happening. So the reason we said perceived danger is because it is a perception of danger um, based on our former experiences. 
And it's not necessarily actual danger. Right. Yes. That's a really important distinction. And and it can be, because this is subconscious, in polyvagal theory, they call it neuroception. And they say that your neuroception is not always accurate. And, and um, that doesn't mean that you are exaggerating or making things up, but this is all a subconscious, all at the subconscious level, but that when we've had um, scary interactions in our childhood, that we become hyper aware to nuances, to body language, micro expressions, that kind of thing. And we have this felt experience in our body that may not accurately reflect how safe the exchange or the environment or the relationship is. That's right. And I think, um, I think that's one of the most challenging parts of this because um, it feels so real. The danger is, it feels so real. It's visceral. And um, to then realize, oh, this might not be accurate. That can be very unsettling. Yes. Well, and you talked about a shame spiral. We we can have shame that comes out of that awareness as, as well. I mean, I've experienced that before where when I become aware of how I'm responding, that I can have this sense of shame about why I couldn't respond more productively or more, um, more calmly, that kind of thing. I can remember... Um when we were working together in Rwanda and um, you had participated in the monthly cleanup of Kigali, the city, and you had accidentally, I think, pulled a flower instead of a weave. Two different times with my machete, I was cutting down yes. flowers. And I remember you oh. coming into the, the house that we were renting and you were so distraught because you had messed up, right? And so I'm thinking about that. That was not about two flowers that you accidentally cut down in a, in a very large city. That was about a former message of not messing up. That making mistakes was dangerous and led to really terrible outcomes. Yes, exactly. And so... Um, this is, these are the things you may be experiencing, whether it's, um, you know, having trouble with a supervisor, whether it's, um, being, having a really high inner critic that's happening at work, uh, because of mistakes. What we want to do is start to kind of create some curiosity around our big reactions, right? And let's, Let's talk about the best way to create some curiosity that's going to lead away from shame. Okay, because this is a really tricky thing, but it is so worth working on. If we don't, if we don't find a way to um, go into our observer's mind and start practicing this ability to notice without judgment and what we call benevolent or loving curiosity, then we inadvertently halt our own growth because we have to be able to notice what's happening without being so harsh to ourselves that we activate our fight flight or freeze response. 
And it's this really interesting balance of being able to kind of step aside and take the personal out of it. To me, I think in in, um, pictures a lot of times, and to me, it's almost like I have this picture of myself going to the right and kind of looking at what's happening and what I'm feeling and how I'm reacting and being curious about it instead Mm -hmm. of being mad at myself. And that has been a skill that I have worked on for a lot, a lot of years, and I'm still working on it. And it working on it has made my life so yeah. much less. So distressing. if you're at work, so Lena and I work together. So if you're mean boss Amy, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if she's like Lena, you're not pulling your weight on this podcast. No, I'm, I would never say that. But let's say, let's say I said. You need, I need, I don't know, what would be something that would be a trigger for you if I said it? Like, oh, probably like, I, I need you to follow through on what you say you're going to do because I have a lot of shame around my ADHD gotcha. and my okay. ability to track and that. Okay. Kind of thing. So if I said something like that, what would be uh-huh. golden best case scenario you could do in order to sort of, remove yourself from this, this cycle of being triggered and then having a big reaction and then having shame, like walk us through it. That's so interesting. Cause I'm actually having a physiological response right now. Like my heart rate has gone up. Super interesting. My heart rate has gone up and my breathing is more rapid. So I still have some work to do. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> um, For me, being able to recognize what's happening in my body, which took a very long time and a lot of practice, is very helpful because it gives me a clue about what's happening. And then being able to say to myself, oh, I'm having this reaction, which means that my nervous system is perceiving threat and then I can do the double breast sigh or some bilateral tapping and get myself back into more of a regulated um, emotional and physical state. And then it allows me to be curious about why I'm having this reaction. And for me, it is the harsh inner critic. It's the, um, the shame I have around my lack of tracking. I mean, I grew up with you and our other sister, Jody, and you guys have totally different brains than me and Matt and Joe. And so I grew up watching my two younger sisters run circles around everybody because the way your brains work. And so then when I don't track and I forget to do things, it's really hard for uh, my body to be able to observe that without going into a response, but I've gotten better at it. And one of the key things has been able to pay attention to what is happening in my body. And that's hard to do if you're American. I mean, in America, isn't it America that came up with the phrase, no pain, no gain, right? (laughs) (laughs) Our whole culture is based on ignoring our body. You see this all the time when little kids get hurt and the parents are trying to help the kid get through it. And they, it's not that bad. Just shake it off. You're not that hurt. Are you bleeding? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
We used to say that to our kids when they're, I mean, the stuff, you know, oh, you're not bleeding. You're okay. Exactly. You know, exactly. Oh my but gosh. Like this cultural emphasis on no matter yes. what's happening, you have to keep ignoring exactly. your body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so being able to pay attention to it at first felt very, very dangerous. It was very difficult because paying attention to your body can give you lots of experiences that are uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I love that. And one thing I wanted to just highlight is the fact that you called it out initially when we first started talking about the scenario, you said, I'm having a reaction right now in, in my body. Yeah. And I can remember several years ago, us having kind of a heated discussion Um, I'm sure I was being hypercritical of you or, you know, minding your business or something (laughs) that I need to apologize for. (laughs) I remember being in my kitchen and, um, you saying to me, uh, I, we need to pause this conversation because I'm having a lot of, I'm having a reaction right now. And I re- distinctly remember thinking, how, mm-hmm. how does she know she's having a re- That was such a foreign concept. How does she know she's feeling something in her body? Right. And this was before, you know, I had done yes. 20 years of therapy and, you know, studied mass trauma in, in, you know, different countries in Africa and done a lot of work on individual trauma, but I hadn't started studying the nervous system yet. Yes. And... It was so intriguing to me that someone would actually know what was happening in their body. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what this, what this ends up all boiling down to is our nervous system. And we talk about this a lot because it's so important and it's so under discussed, even in mental health. Absolutely. And it's so foundational one of the things I really appreciate about polybagel theory is that it ex- it's meant to explain our responses and reactions in a way that helps us make sense of them without being judgmental. And when you take judgment out, you are just on a totally different path of learning and integrating information and um, being able to change and grow. It's so hard not to judge myself. Oh gosh. Yes. Right. Yeah. And we, we've had years of professional and personal training in this. And so I just want anyone who's listening to know that initially I still go into judgment And then I'm like, wait a minute, I've got some tools. (laughs) I know some things. So just know, not only, you know, learning to not judge ourselves, but especially as, because we'll continue, those neuro pathways are so deeply laid down to go into judgment and go into high self-criticism. Right. Because that's, it's designed to be protective, even though it actually harms us. Yeah. I mean, we, we want our judgment to be super acute when we're camping and we run into a bear. 
Yes. Right. But <laughs> right. we often, so often turn it to ourselves in our modern society where the danger that we encounter is emotional and less physical in a lot of ways. So nervous system work is just critical. And we do have our nervous system journal, which I highly recommend, not just because we wrote it, but because this is the process by which I have been able to regulate and develop a flexible nervous system by tracking my nervous system states and jotting down why I'm I'm so hypervigilant in this moment or why I was, you know, so short with my kids last night at dinner or, you know, I can start to kind of marry these incidents with nervous system states. And then I start to see patterns and I think, oh, when I work more than X hours of day, I'm seeing a pattern here where I have no resources left, my body's hammered, then I'm I'm not able to be present for the people I love and the people I'm doing this work for. So I highly recommend tracking your nervous system states. Um, I highly recommend um, just diving into your body either through a body-based practice like yoga or breath work, um, anything, you know, myofascial um, release massage, anything body-based is going to bring you closer and closer to understanding the felt sensations in your body. Exactly. It was really interesting. I was having a, a discussion with a younger client and their parent and they had been making pancakes and um, my kid that I was seeing apparently got really intrigued by the texture of the flour and the parent was flexible enough to, to let the kid kind of play with the flour for 15 minutes and didn't freak out and didn't tell the kid that it was dirty and didn't tell the kid that they had to focus on the pancakes and um, that that was a really interesting somatic experience example where the my kid was paying attention to how something felt on their hands, and it isn't it fascinating and and it must have been very soothing, or the or the kid wouldn't have spent so much time doing it. So when we we're talking um, about it in one of our coaching sessions, I made sure that the parent understood like what they did really well. Um, because there wasn't any danger in that. And what also, what it illustrated about what kind of helps the nervous system of this kid is really neat to, like, one of the things that I do is I learn so much from my clients and their experiences. And um, I love, I love seeing examples of how people cope with difficult or, um, even just day-to-day stuff that can, that can send us in, in a direction that's really reactive. It's really cool. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've said this before, but there's nothing like parenting that overwhelms you more. I mean, it's just, it's just a, a beautiful yet unrelenting job. And anytime you don't have a break from your job, it's very overwhelming. So I love that example. And it reminds me that um, to be more 
generous with my children and their obsession with slime, which I have banned from our house because they got it in the carpet and I had to re-carpet two rooms. That was several years ago, but I need to rethink that policy and um, allow more, you know, responsible slime use instead of just banning it. Yeah, because I don't think it's any problem for you to say there's not slime allowed in this house. You do other things with your kids that are um, untidy and messy, like teach them how to cook and allow them to do art on the three eating tables in the house. Yeah, that's and true. That's that true. I'm pretty rad. Just kidding. <laughs> No, I, you know, but as you were describing this experience with the parent and the child, I was realizing that I have a reaction when my children are playing with slime or really messy things, um, which is way less reactive than it was a few years ago. But they, what you pointed out just now, never occurred to me that they are self-soothing. They're self-soothing with the texture of the slime yes, or the Play-Doh right. or the, it's, and it is a somatic practice, which you just pointed out. So I love this for my own relationship with my children. So thank you for bringing that up. All right. So um, trauma at work, we are going to have triggers at work, um, whether it is, you know, through legitimate danger, emotional or physical at work. And I don't want to under, you know, discount that there are actual dangers at work. Um, but what we're really focusing on today are the triggers that happen while we're at work that are really about former incidents. And when we can tune into the nervous system, we're able to then get benevolently curious about what's happening in our body and start to stay connected to our prefrontal cortex and manage those triggers in a way that is more adaptive and conducive to keeping our jobs, essentially. Yes, which we really want to do. Right, yeah. <laughs> because we need those to live. Yeah, we do. We're not living yeah. in a utopian society, unfortunately. But No, we are not. Um, so thank you so much for tuning in this week. And as always, if you have questions or suggestions for episodes, please reach out to us at hello at mending trauma, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the mending trauma podcast. Lane and I are really grateful that you spend time with us each week. We know you have a choice and that time is currency. We would love if you would share this episode on social media and tag us so we can reshare. If you feel so inclined, go and give us a five-star review wherever you listen to pods so that we can get the word out and help more people. We know that we are all working hard on our mental health and we wish you great success this week in implementing these new skills. We'll check in next week.